Welcome to Look See, the podcast for the art curious in Richmond and beyond. I'm Paige Goodpasture. Contemporary art is a primary driver of attendance and attention for art museums today. Museum goers line up for hours, online and in person, to score tickets to blockbuster exhibitions like Yayoi Kusama's Infinity Mirror Rooms that are touring the world, or to get into hot contemporary art museums like The Broad in Los Angeles, where you can even watch the line wait time tick up on a dedicated Twitter account. It's also true that contemporary art can be a bit confusing, even for those people willing to spend so much time getting in to take a look at it. But the eclectic and inclusive nature of art being made today has a lot to teach us about how to experience the world we live in. Valerie Cassell Oliver, who recently joined the Virginia Museum of Fine Arts as its curator of modern and contemporary art, talked with me about ways to open up the experience of contemporary art, the ways in which the art of our time can provoke important conversations, and how art being made now blurs the lines between traditionally distinct ways of working. Valerie Cassell Oliver joined the Virginia Museum of Fine Arts as its new Sydney and Francis Lewis Family Curator of Modern and Contemporary Art in July. Valerie came to the VMFA from the Contemporary Arts Museum Houston, having been a senior curator there for 16 years. Valerie, welcome, and welcome to Look-See. Thank you, Paige. It's wonderful to be on the program and to meet you. One of your stated goals as you begin your tenure here is to increase the diversity of the museum's holdings. You've said that you feel like there are many artists of different social and cultural backgrounds whose voices are not heard as often as they should be within the visual arts community and in today's art world. In your view, why is this something that is important? Well, I think it's important in general to the history of art to understand narratives as being holistic and not narrow. So to that point, I mean, I think we are looking at historical trajectories. We are looking at historical ways in which artists have worked and how that has laid the foundation for the present. So when you look at issues of diversity, it's not just about cultural backgrounds. It's also male and female. It's also uh, heterosexual versus homosexual or, or gender fluid communities as well. So we're really looking just to expand the narrative in general uh, so that people see themselves reflected overall when they walk into an institution, which is an institution for the people. So we want to make sure that it is reflective of the people. And you are the curator of modern and contemporary art specifically. And so I think that, you know, contemporary art in particular is really key to any museum experience uh, that a, a museum goer has today. I'll just use myself as an example. So I often walk into a contemporary gallery or exhibition and am stimulated and wowed and at the same time a little bit intimidated and a little bit lost maybe about you know wow this is so interesting but I'm not sure exactly what I'm looking at and so as a contemporary curator how do you address and engage 
the public with contemporary art. Well, the really wonderful thing here at the VMFA is that within a context of an encyclopedic museum, you can create bridges. You can help the public to understand that what has happened currently is sometimes predicated or built upon visual languages and narratives that have existed in previous generations. For me, I hope to really make those bridges happen. Oftentimes we talk about contemporary art as being the art of our times. So in many ways, part of my job is somewhat easy in the respect that there may be very familiar subject matter. The subject matter would be something that the public would already be attuned to. The ways and the manners, the, the systems, how technology aids artists, how artists use technology would be something that the public would be accustomed to. So. There are those connective tissues already that extend beyond the walls of the museum that the public would immediately recognize. Sometimes when you're talking about issues that are a little close to home, that are a little too raw, uh, again, the art of our times, where we're learning as we're going and the outcome hasn't really been decided yet, those are the spaces that is where history is helpful to us where those bridges are helpful to us to understand that oftentimes artists are speaking to a moment, a moment that is unresolved, issues that are unresolved, and it is the realm of the artist to imagine, to think, to provoke, to ask, to implore us to think through things in ways that maybe offer some levels of discomfort, but in many ways may be very comforting uh, in times of uncertainty. I noticed that you had been a co-curator of the Whitney Biennial some time ago. And this year at the Whitney Biennial, there was a lot of controversy, particularly around one painting that was by an artist named Dana Schutz, and it was a painting of uh, the open casket of Emmett Till. And it was very raw for many people. You know, you spoke about wanting to expand the conversation and bring things in for a viewing experience that make people think and maybe make people uncomfortable, and but then that's a tough line to walk sometimes. So as a curator, how do you deal with walking that line, with trying to figure out you know, what is going to be something that is a valuable catalyst to conversation as a whole? Well, I mean, even the thing that seemingly feels the most negative is an opportunity for conversation and an opportunity for dialogue. And I think what could not have been underestimated at that time was what was happening here in this country, which was what felt like a proliferation of acts of violence against black men. And of course, for those who may or may not know the story of Emmett Till, this was happening right in the middle of the civil rights era. A young man who was accused of whistling at a white woman in the Deep South. He had come from Chicago to visit family and was subsequently beaten and drowned and his body left to simply rot. His body was recovered and sent home to Chicago. In the rawest of state, even the morticians could not really do much for the remains of the body. And rather than close the casket, the mother asked that the casket be left open so that the world could see what these men had done to her son. 
So you take that and you take that understanding of the violence against black bodies from an era of the 1950s and you look at what has happened in recent times with Michael Brown, uh, with Philandro Castile, too numerous of names, Oscar Grant, we could go on and on and on. What seems like an open season on black bodies and then uh, you mix that in a cauldron of contemporary art and you get very strong opinions about who has the right to talk about the impact of violence upon a body. What was very interesting to me is that Henry Taylor also did a very stunning and sobering painting of Philandro Castile dying, very much the same image that many people saw uh, streamed live. And the outcry for that was not as strong as it was against Dana Schultz. So I think it really gets to the point of who has the right to author someone else's pain. But it was really a much larger conversation about how do we respond collectively as communities, regardless of cultural backgrounds or ethnicity? How do we respond to violence against bodies? How do we embrace that? How do we embrace one another to protect one another? It's ripe with the issues that are going on in St. Louis and the riots with the acquittal of an, another a former police officer who was accused of murdering a black man. So here we are again in the midst of it. So that's what I mean about the art of our times. It is raw, and oftentimes the artist exists as a conduit, maybe deliberately, maybe unconsciously, to really allow us to really have a moment to sit back, step back, and think collectively do we protect one another? Do we provide the same rights uh, of personage to one another? Is my son less of value than your son? Is my life of less value than your life? And then if the answer to that is no, then how do we bond together to ensure that things like social injustices and violence against other people is somehow mitigated? And when it does happen, what signals can be sent to ensure that we can control that in the future. So all of it is the platform for conversation. All of it can be used as a platform for dialogue. I strongly believe in that. Part of my job in working with living artists, and I do work with living artists primarily, is that you give them the platform to have those conversations. And institutions that collect the work, that present the work, are equally responsible for creating a safe place for those conversations to happen. You are going to be in the position of collecting work for the museum, and I think the museum has a stated goal of collecting more works of African-American and African diasporic artists, and that has been something that has been very much an interest of yours as well. And you're also going to be in the position of organizing exhibitions that will come and go, that are not necessarily artists that will be collected by the museum. So that's very exciting. That's a wide range of ways in which you can do things to spark these important conversations. I know you have 
your first exhibition in the planning. And so can you tell us a little bit about that and the artist and why you think it's important for the public in Richmond and, and beyond to experience her works? Yes, so the artist is Howardina Pindell, and the exhibition is called Howardina Pindell, What Remains to be Seen. It is a roughly five-decade, 50-year survey or retrospective of Pindell's work from the mid-1960s to the present. And it is something that I'm co-organizing with Naomi Beckwith, who is the Marilyn and Larry Fields curator at the Museum of Contemporary Art in Chicago. Howardina Pindell has walked all of the lines that we were discussing earlier as an artist, as an activist, as someone who's engaged in social practices. She is, first and foremost, a painter, born in the early 1930s in Philadelphia. So she's an older woman, African-American, working primarily in abstraction. Her painting as an African-American woman and her use of abstraction, it's a wonderful means by which one both can engage wholly and fully in the realm of painting, but also sidestep a lot of these issues around being female, around being black, but not to sidestep it to negate it, but to just be more embraced in the fullness of who you can be. That being said, she's very keenly aware of the lack of representation of both blacks and women in the field of contemporary art. And so that's where a lot of her activism comes in. Also comes in around issues that she encountered, social injustices, also the AIDS pandemic and how many artists uh, were treated or their legacies destroyed over time. So the work really does have this beautiful art, but I think the public can come to it without any knowledge of the sort of social edge to it, the political edge to it, and simply embrace the real stunning and technically extraordinary work that she's created over 50 years. In the exhibitions that you have organized in the past, you have been very interested in performance as an art form, and particularly as a fine art form as opposed to the performing arts. So I'm interested in that idea because that is also something that I think is hard to grasp about contemporary art is all of these different art forms, painting and sculpture obviously, but also performance art and sound art and art as social practice and and all of these things that are actions and that are fleeting but are all drawn into now this idea of contemporary art, and and I wondered if you could speak to that. Art in general exists to be an experiential encounter. You know, there are objects that are on the wall, but it's it's when you come to it, how does that object speak to you? What, how does it make you feel? The art of the 1960s became a really interesting turning point. Every generation has its real shift, dynamic shift, and for the 1960s they called this particular period Neo-Dada, or a way of working as Neo-Dada, because it was built on Dada, which came out right in the aftermath of World War I, where artists were really just trying to make sense of the world. And the reason why it was called Dada is because 
There was such destruction and devastation. People felt as if they were beginning anew, like that of a newborn baby. And what are the first words that babies say are dada. So you look toward the 1960s, and people are again, once again, trying to make sense of the world. And so they called it neo-dada, or the new dada. That like the old, practices really began to look at things like theater, things like dance, um, the visual arts, literature, and music, and how they could all meld together to create new forms, new ways of working. Things that really had their own discipline became these sort of amalgamations or hybrids. And so things like performance art, things like the spoken word, things like sound art, all of those are made anew. And they have set the foundation for how contemporary artists work today. So when we look at things like performance or scores for actions, they would create scores. So it would say, sit up, sit down, sit back ordinary gestures that we do almost completely unconsciously that it brings a new sense of awareness to the ordinary. A lot of performance does that, but it also gives other genres like painting and you know, working in fabric or working with uh, clay gives those artists a different kind of outlet of how to exist in the world. You find more and more people aligning themselves with these spectacles of ordinary actions to just give a different awareness so that the public sees things differently as well. And it becomes more experiential, even deeply experiential, than just encountering an object hanging on the wall. So I think artists are very much engaging video and film, they're engaging with uh, movement, they're engaging with literature. Some artists come into galleries and as an aside, we're used to seeing docents, but maybe they become the stand-in for the docent. And the public may or sometimes may not even be aware that that is an artist who's doing these types of interventions, is what we call them. It is just a different way of creating experiences for the museum goer. A lot of contemporary art is conceptual, or there is a large conceptual component to it, meaning that the idea from which the work springs is just as important as the end result as a museum goer or a gallery attendee or or any person experiencing those works it's sometimes very important to be able to understand the concept behind the work and as a curator there are many different approaches i think to curating contemporary art especially around how much information do you provide to the public about this work where do you stand on that continuum I like labels. Labels are important. I think people look at a work and the first thing they want to know is who made it, when was it made, what is it made of? And then the thing they don't often hear is why. (laughs) And so that is where oftentimes I think museums can allow the public to hear from the artist. You know, I'm looking at a young artist now who I have such great respect for named Jenny Jones. And Jenny is a painter, but she creates minimal 
abstract paintings using sound panel absorbers or what people would call just covers for speakers. But she integrates them onto these beautifully monochromatic painted canvas. And she also has a sound practice, too. So sound becomes an element, not necessarily embedded within the pieces, but oftentimes there are many of the, the, the paintings that are brought together with a quote-unquote soundtrack to it. I think the first thing people want to know is why the use of the sound absorption panel. When you hear Jenny talk about the use of material, how important it is to take something that is found within the aural realm, that that sound absorption panel is her way of bringing things like inference of jazz or the inference of music and music and avant-garde music and blending that with avant-garde ways of creating, particularly in the 1960s when minimal abstraction really was the rule of the day, the visual cue of the day. So it was her way of converging those two ways that were very much avant-garde and placing them within the same context, a way of making sound tangible and visible and yet evoking sound at the same time. So again, you know, how do you explain all that on one label? I'm of two minds. I think people want to know what they're looking at and they need to know what they're looking at. But at the same time, I'm in a unique position to work with artists who are alive and having those primary stories and somehow bringing them into the museum, I think is so key. So. And I think artists also vary in how much they want you to know. Absolutely. And in, in many ways, artists would like to suspend suspend this sort of reality because they are creating a, a place for, for people to project their own experiences, allow the work to speak to people on an individual level rather than having it be defined as only one thing. So in many ways, I understand where artists would want to hold back a bit. But conceptual art practices are just that. They, they are means in which artists can really infuse objects with something much greater than the simple existence of that material. I think some people will immediately intuit where the artist is coming from. Or if they get in the general ballpark, the artist is pretty much fine with that too. So So there have been some very high profile, what I would call immersive exhibitions in the last few years at museums around the country and, and around the world where you walk into the gallery and you are in the middle of whatever the piece is. I wonder if you have any thoughts about bringing something like that to the Virginia Museum. Absolutely. I mean, the way the museum is set up, it can have many different ways in which the public can engage. And certainly having a viewer be completely immersed in experiences is something that not only am I thinking that way uh, as a contemporary curator, but I think from various vantage points, we are all in conversations about how to really create a very sensory experience for the viewer. Well, Valerie, thank you so much for joining me on Look-See today, and welcome to Richmond and to the Virginia Museum. And It's so wonderful to have you here to enrich our conversation and experience around art.
Thank you, Paige. I'm really, really excited about my time here. To learn more about the art and artists in Richmond and beyond, go to our website, look-c.co. There you can find more podcasts, videos, and articles focusing on our vibrant visual arts community, as well as a calendar highlighting a range of arts events in Central Virginia. I'm Paige Goodpasture, and thanks for listening to Look See.